everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. When we recorded this podcast, we weren't sure how much time we would have, so we actually skipped on the introductions. So I'm now in post-production introducing the wonderful Hope Virgo. She is an author and multi-award winning mental health campaigner and actually the founder of the hashtag Dump the Scales campaign, which we discuss in this podcast. Honestly, Hope is a lovely, lovely person. And this podcast episode, we talk about some really, really interesting stuff. And I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Maya Minds podcast. Today, I'm here with Hope Virgo. Hi, Hope. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I am very well indeed. Um, We are a little bit short for time with this podcast, so we're going to get straight into the questions. Everyone listening, you'll have heard me introduce Hope earlier on, so you know all about her already. (laughs) Um, So Hope, just to get started, um, obviously, you know, you work in the kind of mental health and disordered eating field, um, and as as I do myself... um, a lot of people I meet tend to have had some kind of lived experience with it. And, and again, myself, I do personally, I've um, had anorexia and now I kind of fall under binge eating disorder. Um, I'm wondering if that's been the case with you and if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I developed anorexia when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, so as like, I guess, similar maybe to other people who are listening, it was basically just a coping mechanism to life. Um it helped me numb a lot of emotions that I didn't want to feel and gave me a real sense of control over everything going on around me. But I think that's the really difficult thing with eating disorders is the control and kind of value it gives you is always so short lived. And it's like you keep longing for that short term solution. And then like a couple of hours later, you're like, I've got to do it again. I've got to keep doing it. Um, and a huge part of my anorexia was also wrapped up in over exercise. Um, so officially my diagnosis was anorexia and bulimia because of that. Um, but I never really thought of the exercise as an issue, if I'm honest. And it's actually quite, well, I think it's quite interesting because I think the way that we live in society at the moment, we do live in a society where we normalize obsessive exercise and disordered eating. Yeah. And it means when you're in recovery from an eating disorder, it's like you're going against the whole of society. You're like Mm. going against what we're being told to do constantly. And for me, that was a real challenge at first, actually like realizing that I had to put on weight and I had to stop exercising. And it was, it was really, really hard. And I think a big thing for me as well was just accepting that I needed that support. Um, So I was kind of unwell for about four years before there was any intervention. And then eventually the first initial interventions didn't work um and i kind of kept struggling along and kind of lied a lot um i also was very naughty as a child so kind of rebelled a lot um which i think again was probably a bit of a cover-up for the way i was feeling and kind of hiding what was actually going on for me Mm. um and then yeah eventually when i was 17 i ended up being admitted to a hospital where i then had like a year in hospital trying to recover learning about food exercise Um, And the big thing for me was, as I'm sure similar to a lot of people, is just actually learning to process your emotions in the right way Mm. and learning to express yourself in a way that isn't destructive and dangerous. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, 
in, in regards to your your exercise how like how did you actually treat that then was it just excessive and extreme or how, how did how did you use exercise um yeah so just really excessive so i was where i was brought up was very sporty so i was in all the sports teams at school um and was a very good runner i actually did a lot of cross country did a lot of long distance stuff um and then when i got unwell it basically just became something i had to do and it was really frustrating because looking back, I definitely lost my love of running when I was probably like 15, 16, but still felt this kind of constant need to be doing it and pushing myself. Mm. Um, and then eventually when I went into hospital, I wasn't allowed to do any exercise um, for the first 10 months I was there. But then for my final two months in hospital, um, one of the nurses used to go running with me just a couple of times a week. And actually for me, although that kind of treatment is quite risky, um, for me it really worked because it helped me to then understand a little bit more about healthy exercise and doing it for the right reasons and doing it not to punish yourselves. Um, mm. And I think what it also taught me was actually, I'm now able to make that distinction between exercising in the right way and exercising for the wrong reasons. Mm. Would, you, would you say, because um, within the kind of research around eating disorders often, um, especially with the compulsive exercise stuff often it's the fact that there's that <clears throat> the the weight and shape concern and the kind of physique orientated version of exercise would you say that's what changed did you go from originally you know using exercise to try and burn calories or to you know to to lower your weight and then now and then you know when it started getting better it was a different goal yeah I think at first um yeah, I do. Actually. I've, never, do you know, I've never ever thought of it really like this. Mm. But I think at first, um, when I first started being allowed to do it again, it wasn't about, yeah, it wasn't about earning food, but I definitely did it because I didn't know how to stay well and how to keep eating unless I was doing a little bit of exercise. And I still had a really unhealthy relationship, probably looking back with exercise. Um, and I remember actually when I was, uh, I went straight to uni after I came out of hospital and I definitely was exercising kind of for the wrong reasons than exercising too much and probably as a bit of a coping mechanism to actually other things that were going on. Mm. But definitely over time, it's become like something that I do for my mental health now. But I think it's so it's so hard because you it's so easy to kind of fall back into those old patterns, actually. And I know for me, like when I've had a bad day or if I'm feeling really stressed about something, then I don't restrict anymore but I might feel tempted to go and work out at the gym a bit harder or to kind of push myself a bit harder. And I've had quite a few conversations actually recently. Um, I've just changed gyms randomly, um, mainly because my gym hadn't opened. And I was really proud of myself because actually I'd gone through the whole of lockdown without kind of relapsing and getting nervous about the gyms and things like that. And had done really, really well to not exercise. Yeah, that's amazing. But like when, it, when the gyms reopened, it was so tempting to kind of go straight back in really hard and kind of push yourself constantly. And I think I've definitely had to just make sure that over the last kind of, I don't know, like six to eight weeks, just being really like accountable with myself and kind mm. of checking in with myself and actually making sure that when I am going, I'm going because I want to go, not because mm. I feel like I have to go. Yeah. And I, I agree with you completely with the, um, it's so easy to fall back into and I think that that like I, that's my experience as well as when I'm having a bad time or when I'm not feeling myself or I'm feeling down. My natural instinct is, oh, I, sh I need to go to the gym and and like this will make me. I need to go to the gym because it will make me feel better. Um, and I think that yeah, you you say it's kind of a slippery slope and it's quite difficult to to keep that 
that teetering edge. Um, and I think, I think, you know, similar to what you were saying earlier as well, social media and the, the kind of the world of, you know, the, the culture that surrounds exercise, I think that plays such a role in it. Um, especially, you know, you see these, some of these fitness accounts talking about, you know, no days off and, you know, all these, these fitness influencers showing, you know, grueling like workouts and how you have to always push yourself. I think that can play a toll. Do you, what do you think? Yeah, no, I do not a hundred percent agree. And I think there is so much risky stuff out there on social media at the moment, whether it's exercise related or whether it's even nutritional advice mm. and you end up looking at it and you're like, this is ridiculous. And I know for me, like, even though I'm kind of conscious that when I am looking at it, I find it quite, it's not, it's not so much that it's triggering, but I'm just comparing myself and feeling really bad about myself that actually I have to be really mindful not to look at it too much, mm. but it's so hard to not get swept into that. And I think actually what I was, I was speaking to someone about this actually over the last week and just also kind of saying that actually for some people, and I think when you're in recovery from an eating disorder, although for me, the body image wasn't like a huge part of my illness, it's definitely something that has probably become more wrapped up since I've started, like since I've been in recovery mm -hmm. and you have to understand like how your body changes, like, and I think particularly, yeah, like for me, like actually my body shape, I'm probably not hundred percent happy with, but the way to go about getting a shape I want isn't to punish myself, but it's about mm -hmm. actually shifting that mindset and becoming, I guess, moving to a space where you can own what your body looks like and how you deal with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think there's a lot of dangerous stuff out there. And I think over, over the last couple of months with the pandemic, because we've probably all spent more time on social media, it's so easy to kind of like get down that rabbit hole. And I don't know if you found like at the start of lockdown, it was like, there was just suddenly like this influx of like a fitness stuff on Instagram and everyone was doing like Instagram lives, like left, right and center. Yeah. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And for me, I can't do those things in my bedroom at home because that's what I used to do when I was really sick. So it's like, I don't ever want to go back to that point. But then at the same time, you're kind of flicking through people's stories on Instagram and everyone else seems to be constantly exercising. And you're like, oh, I can't do that. Or like, should I do it? And then you then feel, I think like more of that guilt and more of that pressure again to try and kind of shape up what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's 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 the typical thing with social media, isn't it? That you know everyone puts on their best thing. You know, you put on you know you never see anyone put their like their failed set in a workout mm -hmm. or their you know when they had a bad run or something. It's very rare people share that stuff. Everyone shares their you know extra energy. You know, I've just done this really hard workout and I managed it, and oh, I've got a PB. Um, and you know, like you said, it was it was so prevalent during that that short period of time and especially at the time when gyms all closed like i i understand that you know it was probably a revenue thing you know our gyms have closed yeah. so we want to we want to try and promote our stuff as much as we can so then we can get more people looking at us etc um but i think you know especially for people who have some kind of disordered eating or compulsive exercise behavior i think you know coinciding their gym closing down which could have been like a coping mechanism for them and it was for me um and then also all this all these people doing really hardcore workouts on live and you know pushing themselves and giving you the opportunity to push yourself and like you say the guilt that comes with not doing it because you can't yeah. do every one but you know if, if you're seeing people working out on live constantly it makes you feel like oh should i be doing that yeah and it's i think it's quite funny because i was thinking about this quite a bit in lockdown 
And I do also think that actually probably a lot of people, like obviously some people were working out more, but actually a lot of people maybe did have exercise in their kind of day to day that they just didn't share on Instagram, but because they had nothing else to share on social media, they were like, oh, I probably should share that I'm doing this. Otherwise it looks like I'm having a really terrible lockdown. So I feel like also that was probably an issue in itself that people just were sharing yeah too much just because they wanted to look like they were having fun <laughs> yeah I, suppose, I never i never thought about it like that but it does that does make sense i guess <laughs> we had so little things to post people were just like well this is all i can post yeah um, so yeah I, and I, now i'm thinking about it there are there were there were people that like on my personal instagram that that never usually post fitness stuff and they started posting fitness stuff um and I, I, I even posted, I posted one workout I did and I, I thought to myself as soon as I did it, I was like, I never do that. Why, like, why have I done that? Um, <laughs> it, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of, you kind of given me an epiphany there. That was uh, interesting. Yeah, that, that, that is definitely something that happened. And, you know, um, obviously we don't know where things are going at the moment, but, you know, hopefully if, if we do go into another lockdown or something, um, hopefully things like that won't happen or, you know, at least we'll be more aware of it, I guess. That, that's a yeah. good question actually I have for you. Um, for people watching who do really struggle with comparing on social media and stuff, do you have any advice or like things that you do that help you? Um, so right at the start of lockdown and actually what I try and do actually every kind of six to eight weeks is um, I go through my Instagram feed, particularly on Instagram, and kind of create my feed in such a way that actually I'm only looking at accounts that are really positive or make me feel good about stuff. Um, and kind of searching hashtags that I find really positive. Um, and it's interesting actually, because I can tell that I've been looking at kind of more, like I guess other stuff um, that, yeah, recently, I guess like more fitness type stuff on Instagram. And actually what's happened is that my feed, when I go on the search explore button, is now flooded with content that makes me feel really rubbish. Mm -hmm. So I need to spend some time going back through it. But yeah, definitely like creating my feed in such a way that it only shows good stuff. Um, I also am kind of taking ownership of actually if stuff does make me feel rubbish, I normally just unfollow that person or mute yeah. that person as well. Um, and then also just being really mindful like of the times of day that I go on Instagram where I might be kind of a bit more vulnerable. So up until six weeks ago, I was doing therapy again. And actually on the evenings after my therapy sessions, I would normally kind of sit on the sofa and watch like trashy TV and be scrolling through Instagram, like constantly. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And I was doing it kind of subconsciously without really thinking. And I was we'll like, oh, it's yeah, I was like, I'm not really reading it, but I think subconsciously, even though you're not reading everything that you're seeing, the content is still going in. Yeah. Um, so I've basically tried to really cut down on scrolling. Um, mm. So actually last Sunday, randomly, um, I was like, I'm only gonna go on Instagram for like max an hour every day. And it was really interesting because then on Monday night and Tuesday as well, actually I was on the train, I went up to Stoke on Monday and Tuesday. Oh, are you? Oh, I yeah. should have kind of seen you. <laughs> um, yeah, I spoke at a school. Um, it was actually in U Utoxica. Utoxica, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I, but on the train, I normally would just like scroll quite a lot. But because I'd limited my time on Instagram, it stopped me reaching for my phone like every five minutes and just scrolling pointlessly. Mm. So I think actually, although I haven't seen like a massive shift in 
my brain in the last couple of days. I think actually doing things like that and taking responsibility can be and will be really, really helpful in the long term. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think like you were saying, how even if you're not consciously picked, because we've all done that, just sat there and scrolled and you're thinking about something else, but you're looking at everything. And you know, especially if you're looking at fitness models and, and things like that, you know, subconsciously you're, you know, you're comparing, you're going to be comparing what you see there to, to what you end up seeing in the mirror or, you know, and it's something I often always talk about. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast so many times, but you know, we often just, you know, as people, we, every single day of our life, we see all our little failures that happen every, you know, every minute we often do something that is, that is wrong in some kind of manner, or we think something that is wrong or think something that we are ashamed of or gets us upset. Um, and then all we see on social media is everyone's like, like beautiful things and like things they're proud of and stuff like that. So it's only natural that every single one of us thinks that we're, we're the crazy one or, you know, everything, every single one of us thinks that we're the bad one because using social media and, you know, I'm, I'm saying it like I don't go on social media. I go on social media all the time. Um, but <laughs> it does, it does just, it creates this, um, you know, it's you versus everyone else because it seems that every, nobody else has these little failures that happen constantly, but we all do. No, exactly. And we, I think when you're looking at stuff like social media as well, like you do then start to just scrutinize your own yourself as well quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think actually that's something, I guess kind of linked to social media, but something that I've also thought about quite a lot recently is, um, and sorry, I'm now going off on another tangent, but it's like actually just doing things like video calls, because again, you're, you're scrutinizing your own face when you're on the calls and like, and I'm like, it's so funny. Well, not that funny, but I did a talk in a, it's not that funny at all. I did a talk in a store on Tuesday and um, I felt so, like I was like speaking and I was like, I can't see myself. I was like, I wonder what I looked like because for the last six months, everything I've done has been online. So I've yeah. always been able to see myself. And you know, and it's like, you then start to feel more self-conscious about everything. And I think it's just like a combination of that with the social media, people's body image. It can just get so difficult. Mm, that's that's a really interesting perspective i've not really thought about it because doing this podcast and and i i run i do some kind of like cpd workshops and stuff so i'm like constantly looking at myself in the thing i've not even i'm not now now you've said it i'm like not looking at myself on my screen because um, <laughs> i'm like yeah i shouldn't be looking at myself but that is so true i've, I've never maybe maybe that i'll i'll recognize that myself when i start speaking to normal people in, in real life again uh, currently i'm still just it's basically still locked down for me i've been i was a student when like when lockdown was on I, and i've still been kind of working on computery stuff since so i'm still basically in lockdown and um, the only difference is i can leave my house occasionally um so i wanted to talk as well about your campaign the hashtag dump the scales <clears throat> for, yeah. for the listeners who um haven't heard of it can you give us an explanation about what it's all about yeah, sure. Um, so I launched a campaign called Dump the Scales about a year and a half ago. So the reason I launched it is because people with eating disorders find it very difficult to access treatment on the NHS unless they're severely underweight. Mm -hmm. And this happened to me back in 2016 when I relapsed. Um, so my grandma passed away and I really struggled with the guilt and her going and instead of talking about it, I just went back to that unhealthy coping mechanism of kind of restricting and exercising and stuff. Um, but the really frustrating thing back then 
was that I knew what was happening. And I think that's actually quite a common thing with eating disorder recovery is you sometimes know what that unhealthy behaviors do is, but you still do it at times. And so I struggled for a couple of months and then ended up referring myself to services. When I finally had my appointment, um, they weighed me and they were like, yeah, you're not underweight. And I was literally like, it was ridiculous. I was literally sitting there and was like, I know I'm not underweight, but I've also had anorexia before. Like I know how easy it is to get into that slippery slope again. Um, And I ended up actually ended up going on antidepressants because there wasn't any therapy nothing um and it was it was it was what it was I guess at the time but when I started talking about my experience and sharing it I realized that actually this isn't something that just happened to me but it's something that happens to so many people every single day and there's just like just this whole lack of understanding around eating disorders and this lack of education and it it really began to frustrate me so I was like I'm going to do something about it um so I launched this petition and I guess it had kind of like two purposes. Like the first was because I wanted to educate society and make sure that society had some understanding of eating disorders and stereotypes and weight and things like that. But I also wanted to make sure that the government, um, yeah, like I guess the government felt pressure and felt like they had to do something about it. Um, so the petition's all about um yeah like changing that diagnostic criteria so that people can get support and treatment but also making sure that the education is there so at the moment gps only get i think two hours of training throughout um their whole medical like degree which in itself is just so frustrating so i'm trying to also change that within it um so yeah it's been it's been interesting um it's definitely been quite a slow burner at points and there are some moments when I literally hate the campaign and like I find it frustrating and I'm like why don't the government see this as an issue and um but then it's also had like some really good moments um I took it to Downing Street last year which was really fun um and I've also at the moment just producing like another resource with um a company in London which comes out on the 12th of October, which we're going to kind of roll out across the country, hopefully to just educate people a bit more on eating disorders and diagnosis. Um, Mm. But yeah, I I guess, yeah, I guess like I just wanted to make sure that people didn't feel like fakes when they reached out for support. Cause I think for some reason, I feel like we put anorexia on a bit of a pedestal and we think that's like the best illness or it's the one illness that people get. And we don't look at actually the deep rooted stuff that comes with it. And, mm. and it's really, it's really sad because I get a lot of people get in touch with me and I'm sure you do as well who struggle with eating, but aren't underweight. And so they then don't feel like they can get support, but yet the eating disorder is still ruling their lives. And even if you look at people like Freddie Flintoff, who talked about his bulimia, actually like he's not underweight mm. but yet he's living with an illness that is just detrimental to him so yeah, yeah that yeah that's the, the gist of it hours and hours no i i 100 agree with you like a personal experience i've i've had similar so because i'm just kind of a um because i'm because i'm quite like a, a i'm a gym guy and the, you know the reason i'd sell my mind is you know to help people with kind of gym-esque stuff and fitness you know, the fitness people out there and the sporty people out there you know, when i always i want an example i always use is when i went to a doctor's appointment um and it wasn't even about my eating disorder but he obviously has my history up on his screen 
and he turned to me and said, oh, it says you've got an eating disorder. And I was like, uh, well, I'm not, I was like, <laughs> I was a bit shocked because I wasn't there to speak about eating disorder. And he looked me up and down and said, you don't look like you've got an eating disorder. And I just, it's like, it literally just questioned, like, like, just, it, like, to me, it felt like he was saying, like, that I'm faking it or that, like, it's not, like, what, I, what I'm thinking and what I'm dealing with isn't real. Um, just because I, I go to the gym, he just presumed that that means that I can't, yeah, have this issue. And I, yeah, so I agree completely. I think um, one thing that people need to recognize from, from this podcast and just in, if you, you know, look up the, you know, dump the scales um, campaign is that eating disorders aren't about the food and about the, the, you know, the, the actual thing that's happening. It's the underlying issues that are causing that behavior. Um, and, you know, some, another example of mine is when, when I kind of started my anorexia tendencies was actually when I was really overweight, I, I broke my spine when I was younger. Um, I won't go into too much detail because everyone on this podcast will it'll drive them insane to talk about all the time. Um, but <laughs> I know. I, really <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I, I broke I broke my I broke my spine when I was younger, and it meant it it meant that I couldn't um, do anything for about a year. So I was literally for nine months I was just lay flat on my back on the floor, and I had an operation, and um, I was basically just emotional eating because it was my entire life just kind of fell to pieces because I was always a rugby player and that was my thing. Um, and I, and I couldn't do it anymore. And I've had surgery on my back and I'm not allowed to play rugby anymore. Um, but I gained so much weight. I was like, I was, I was 19 and a half stone or about 130, 125 kilos when I was 15 years old. So like I was, I was really overweight um, and I was really conscious of it. And because of that, I started eating less and I started exercising more to the extreme to the point where, you know, I, would, you know, I won't go into details, but, you know, I was eating very little and I was exercising a lot. And people congratulated me because, because I was overweight and, or obese and I was going to a normal body weight. It was fine. Well, you know, people, if, if, in fact, you know, I don't, again, not going to name any names, but my, my surgeon tried to, tried to encourage me to come in and give talks to the other, the other people he'd done operations on to try and help them, encourage them to do the same stuff I was doing. And I was starving myself and, and doing for three runs a day. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really important that, you know, just because someone doesn't look you know, stereotypically anorexia-esque doesn't mean that they you know, aren't suffering. No, exactly. And I think it is, it's so, it is so frustrating that we do have that image in our heads of it. Like if anyone says the word eating disorder, that's what we automatically all jump to when it is so much more than that. And I think as well, like what you were saying about how it is, it's about the underlying issue. It's not about the food and the calories and the exercise. It's about so much more than that. And I think that's another one of my kind of, I guess my frustrations, but also the hope by just raising awareness around it is actually we don't want to uh, people to go into treatment and then to put on the weight they need to or lose the weight they need to or to kind of settle their eating patterns to then not tackle what's going on, then get discharged and then to then restart going back to those behaviours because they have never really tackled it. Um, and I think for me, like it's been really interesting over the last like couple of years because um, so one of the big causes of the my anorexia was um, I got sexually abused when I was a child. And I never dealt with it because when you go into treatment, they very rarely offer you trauma-based therapy. So it was just kind of something yeah, that was just kind of always with me. And I've, I've learned to kind of box it up and be like fine with it. But then a couple of years ago, I went through a court case around it. And I think 
just bringing that all up to the surface was was really challenging but what it did mean is that actually I went back to therapy and did a lot of trauma-based therapy and now I'm probably although like I've mentioned about how the body image stuff wasn't great I probably am still in I probably am in the best space with my body because of doing that treatment yeah. and the only yeah and it's I think that's another thing it's like it's just frustrating how it is very one size fits all when it comes to eating disorder treatment and services. And actually we need to be looking, yeah, kind of at the whole person and what they've been through and how we can then get them to actually live. Yeah. Like live a normal, like, yeah, like a normal life again. Mm. Um, which I think, yeah, which is hard, I think, because you do, when you're in recovery, you start to reintroduce those behaviors and like in a more healthy way but then quite often you get picked up on this. I don't know if you find this with the work you do, but I know particularly when I talk about exercise, there are people who do pick me up on it and are like, you shouldn't be exercising. You've got an eating disorder. And I'm like, well, no, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm in recovery. Mm. And actually for me, recovery is about so much more than just sitting down all day eating. It's like, I want to be able to do that, but also go out and exercise and do things because I want to do them. Mm. Um, so I think it's hard. It definitely is hard to navigate that whole, yeah, that whole environment too. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I personally don't have people telling me not to exercise, but I think it's because of the, the stigma of males and eating disorders. I think because, yeah. I'm, because I'm a guy and I'm a guy who goes to the gym and you know, I'm relatively a muscular person, people, people see, see my physique and don't give, a, don't give a shit about the eating disorder, to, to be honest. They just think, oh, he's, he's fine. Like, you know, he's, he doesn't look no skin or anything, but because, just because you're female and you, you, you're open about an eating disorder and, and you're exercising, then all of a sudden, and it's an issue and you know they have to apparently tell you what to do with your life which is you know people just shouldn't do in general but um <laughs> <laughs> we won't go down that rabbit hole um but yeah i think I, I, that kind of brings me on to a, a a point and you know again one of the reasons why i set up my mind is you know to to help spread awareness of the the fitness people and the you know the exercisey people and the you know the athletes who you can still struggle with this kind of stuff because often you know, we were talking about, you know, you can't be, you know, with anorexia, it seems to be, you have to be so skinny or, you know, you have to fit this, put this certain BMI in order to be diagnosable. Um, yeah. One, another example is with people who have muscle dysmorphia. So muscle dysmorphia is currently, diag is currently in the diagnostics manual of body dysmorphic disorder, but it, there's a lot of controversy about whether it is a disordered eating pathology because there's a lot of disordered eating practice that goes into it and there's loads of research about it. Um, it's called um, muscle oriented disordered eating and but because because they fit society's image like body image of oh they're you know they're they're a male and they've they've got muscles and they're strong all of a sudden they can't have an issue and, and I think that that leads to so many people um, not seeking help and not and like you know help seeking behavior is is how you get better you know it, you you yourself you know you you went and sought out help further even when you felt like you were slipping back into it um, mm. and that's such an important thing and, and why it's important conversations like this happen and people understand that it's okay to have issues and you know, it's 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 all right to seek help and you know you it's, if anything it's right to seek help and you probably should do it because nine times out of ten I think it ends up in positive outcomes yeah I agree with you and I think yeah I think sometimes it is like taking ownership when you do try and seek help and trying to remember that you deserve that treatment you deserve that support and 
yeah like it can be really challenging when people don't take you seriously or they're quite dismissive mm. but I do yeah I agree with you like the more we push that conversation the more we talk about it the better it is and I think something that I think is so important at the moment is just that reminder that actually we can all talk about mental health like mm. we don't have to be an expert to talk about it like I know we some of us probably are too scared to talk about it or we get nervous about triggering people but actually we can all talk about it and that's the message that I've kind of I'm kind of constantly at the moment being like it's just about checking in with each other it's just about listening and offering yeah kind of more of that advice I guess I think I think that's solid advice and very very sound advice and yeah I'm a big I'm a big advocate for counseling and therapy counseling helped me so much Um, and just just talking and just being open um I think one of the one of the best things you can you can do is start opening up because then you realize how good it feels and how much positives you get from it and then like I don't know if it was if it's been similar with you but um, after I saw my first counselor and I first like properly opened up like not just you know said my classic reel of oh I had an eating disorder and that's it but I actually like went into the like nitty gritty it's all it almost became like an addiction like <laughs> but like a positive addiction and the fact that you know i just it felt so good to to tell people um like the how i actually felt um to the point where actually if anything it got a little bit too extreme and i ended up just telling anyone anything um and i had to start reeling it back in because i was telling the wrong people things and i had to control <laughs> it um but yeah I, I just i got so kind of into it and I, I'm, I'm so passionate about the idea of counseling and stuff and I've, I've said you know if I could afford it I just have counseling every day in my life for the rest of my life because I think it's amazing um yeah so with you on that <laughs> mm. I have I have um a question for you so you were saying how you know a lot of people seem to struggle with opening up and, and I, I agree with you do you have any advice for people listening from your experience um of how to start maybe um yeah and I I totally get this because I think so for a lot of my childhood I didn't talk about anything and I do at times I find so I find it very easy to talk about how I'm feeling kind of publicly but I do find it harder to talk to people who are really close to me about how I'm feeling um it's really yeah it's kind of a strange one um like I'm happy to tell someone in Sainsbury's if I'm having a bad day but wouldn't tell like yeah someone closer Mm. but I think for me it's like start slow and actually if you've work out who you've got around you. So work out your support network and be aware that like your friends and your family will have different roles throughout your lives, but also in that day to day. So I have some friends who are there for like a distraction. I've got some friends who offer me that emotional support. Um, I've got other friends who maybe do a little bit of both um, and it does change and different people know different things about me. And I think that is also okay. And I've, you kind of have to work out your boundaries with each person. But at the initial starting point, um, what I normally would do and what I used to do was literally just be like, I'm really not okay today and kind of leave it at that. Mm. And I would then basically choose if I wanted to share anything else. And quite often I didn't at first, but just by voicing that and saying, I'm struggling a bit at the moment, that was okay. Because I think for me, it used to really frustrate me how people would then try and fix me or they'd feel sorry for you or they'd be like oh so why don't you feel okay like what's happened and I'd be like oh my goodness I just don't know I just feel a bit rubbish today um so yeah I think starting slowly and I do also think that the more vulnerability we show as individuals actually over time our friends will start to show that vulnerability um and I know definitely like for me like out of my kind of friends like I'm the only mental health campaigner and I 
there's like a bit of a running joke. Like I will always check in with everyone and be like, how are you? you know, how are you really? And I know like it's quite annoying sometimes, but I do think that actually it gives people that lifeline. And because I'm willing to show that side of me, actually it helps other people then show that side of them too, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, you know, opening up isn't only helping you, but you know, maybe for a little bit of added motivation for people listening, you're probably going to help your friends as well. Because even if they, you know, it probably won't happen the first time, but if you're, you know, constantly, you know, being honest and open about how you're feeling and asking them how they're feeling. And, and like you say, being of no, but really, how are you feeling? Not just taking their original, oh, I'm great. Um, you know, that, that can, you know, it can breed a better friendship. It can you know, make them happier, make you happier. And I think all around, it's just a great, it's a great thing. Yeah. And I do also like, I, instead, I was in, um, this is like last year, I went into a school and I did like a session on eating disorders and stuff. And at the end of the session, three, um, three students stayed behind and one of them asked a question and then another one asked a question and they were all so related, the questions. And then by the end of the conversation at the end, they realized that all these three friends who were really, really good friends had similar things going on, but they'd never talked about it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Mm. So I do think that actually, if we do start sharing things, you then do start to see more connections with people around you. And you probably realize that actually you've got so much more, yeah, so much more in common. Yeah. Um, but I think I would just kind of, I guess, I feel the need to reiterate this at the moment is I think quite often right now and over the last kind of seven, eight months, there's been so much noise going on. And whilst it's really good because people are talking about their feelings, I know at times like it can feel really difficult to feel heard within that. And I'm sure there'll be people listening who might have tried to tell someone they're not okay. And then kind of immediately had someone come back to them and be like, oh, well, this happened to me or oh, this is going on in my life. And yeah. I guess just like that reminded that, like I totally get how frustrating that is because it happens to me all the time. And I think sometimes, yeah, people don't always realize they're doing it. But if that does happen, it's like, take a little bit of a step back like don't respond in a snappy way and remember that actually what you're feeling is just as valid as what that individual is feeling yeah that that's a great point and i um one thing that i do with my um, like the friends that i'm really close with and you know i think this is something you develop over time as you get closer with people who you you talk about your mental health with with is we're open up we we are straight um to the point with how we want them to respond so i will say you know, to, to the person, um, well, I'm going to open up, I, I feel a bit shitty and I, I want to open up, but I don't want you to, to tell me what I should do about it. All I want you to do is tell me that it's going to be all right. And or like, all I want you to do is tell me that like, I'm not insane for thinking this way or feeling bad. And then they know how to react. Um, and I think when I've told people that before, they think, oh, well, it won't feel the same, but I can tell you now it does. Um, because especially when it's someone that you trust and you know that they're not going to lie to you. Like I don't, I, they wouldn't just say that anyway, but you know, if they really do understand, which, you know, if there's someone who understands your mental health and, and you speak to back and forth a lot, they do, they do understand. They will honestly say back to you, you know, look, that's, that's all right. We all think crazy stuff. Sometimes we all you know get a bit down. That is a justifiable thing to be upset about. Um, I think that is something it's something you can really develop with your friends and if you do have friends people listening who you speak to your mental health about maybe try that out you know be upfront from the get-go I don't want you to respond like this 
I want you to talk this kind of stuff. I want you to be positive. I don't want you to try and fix me. I just want you to just say that it's okay. Yeah, I do. You know, I love that, and I yeah, I completely agree because it is yeah, it's annoying when people try and fix you. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so common, and like I I understand why, um, because yeah, especially if someone if it's someone who isn't used to how like speaking about mental health stuff or isn't used to talking about it themselves and aren't aware of how that feels when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's almost like a panic, isn't it? Um, like, I, you know, I remember the first times, the first times people ever spoke to me about mental health before, you know, I was, I was kind of in touch with it and, and okay with speaking about it. You know, I would panic, you know, my heart would race because it'd be like, oh, I need to, I need to say something that's going to help them feel better. Otherwise something, you know, they're going to hate me or, you know, I'm going to you know, disappoint them or, you know, they're going to feel worse because of me. So you panic and you go, oh, just, you know, just start eating more. And then you're like, and then, you know, the other person, obviously the other person doesn't feel great about that. So, you know, maybe if you do open up to someone again, being, being completely honest with them, say, you know, I'm, what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm feeling really shit and this is probably a bit like a, of a hard thing to take or a hard thing to hear. Um, so it's okay if you, if you don't know how to respond, you know, and, and just be honest with them like that. Say, it's okay if you um, don't know how to respond to what I'm about to say, but just, just kind of be there for me if that's okay. Yeah, I yeah, I completely agree with that as well. And I think even like I know that even I have a tendency to try and fix people when they tell me stuff. So sometimes I even have to take a step back and try and make myself listen better. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly the same. It is easier. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not practicing what I preach, and I never do. I'm I'm the king of no. I'm the king of knowing how to sort out mental health, but never doing it to myself. Um, which I think I think I. The more people I speak to who work in mental health and, and disordered eating and stuff, we all know what, what you're supposed to do, but very few of us actually end up doing it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, thank you so much, Hope. I think we'll wrap it up here. Um, thank, thank, yeah, thank you so much for being on this talk. And I think we touched on a lot of stuff. Thank you so much for opening up and, and given your point of view, it's, it's, a, it's great to have you on the show. Um, just to finish off, can you kind of list off a few places where people can find you? So, for example, like social media, websites, etc. Um, I will tag everything you mentioned below, any videos and stuff I do. So everyone listening, you'll see it below, but just so you can say them off to people. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so I'm on Instagram um, as just Hope Virgo with an underscore. Um, and then Twitter, just, yeah, my name, Hope Virgo. Um, and then my website is hopevirgo.com. Um, and then if you do want to sign the petition, that'd be awesome. And if you just go on Google and type hashtag dump the scales and then my name, um, hopefully it should come up. Yeah, I'll find, I'll find the link and I'll put it below the podcast. So it'll be in the description of the podcast. So you should be able to just click that straight away. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, everyone listening. Thanks again for listening to the episode. Um, I look forward to being there in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.